All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of the Max Potential Habits podcast. You all know that this is your place to come for tips, tools, and inspirational interviews. I love nothing more than a good conversation with someone who dives really deep into the work that they do to help transform the world, uplift people, uh, with their knowledge, with their work in the world. And today we have on Dr. Michael Pariser. Is that right? That is right. All right. <laughs> awesome. He wrote a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey. And um, he found, I, I think he found me through Dr. Glover, who wrote a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy. That's right. Cool. And he, that book I have recommended to so many people. So I know that already that you are awesome and amazing <laughs> and deep in men's work to help, to help men transform into, I would say from my interpretation of it, the most empowered version of themselves. In his um, bio, I really, really love what he says. He says, if I have one thing I do best, it's getting people out of the deep, dark, emotional holes they're in by climbing in there with them. There's nothing better than having somebody who's an ally, a support system, challenging you to grow, and doing this really important work. I think that men's work in the world is very, very powerful because we can get really stuck in places in boxes, I, I did, I don't know if you know this about me, but I did a lot of years of research in masculinity and trauma and um, I worked with incarcerated men. So I have a lot of love for the struggles that men go through. Mm. And I think that it's such an important conversation. So I'm really psyched to have you on the show today to share your wealth of knowledge, your experiences, all those things. So welcome to Max Potential Habits. Thank you so much and thanks for the great introduction and also I'm excited because leading into this conversation when we were talking before we started recording I just got a sense of um, that you were very much in tune with um, the ideas surrounding growth into healthy masculinity and so I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're gonna have yeah i'm so psyched you're here and for anyone who's listening we're on facebook live right now but listeners won't be able to see that obviously uh can i call you dr michael or michael call preference? me michael okay yeah. awesome so michael's on a boat right now <laughs> which is super cool so you're you're a psychologist in la i know that the question i want to start with is what do you love about being a man hmm uh uh, I once saw this long list and it had like 50 things like the world is your urinal and stuff like this. Like, <laughs> so, um, I, I like what I like about being a man is, um, the idea that of the sense of, activeness and I and I I want to be careful about that because I want to say that both men and women have male and female energies principles um, but I I kind of I've always had a motor that revs you know at a at a high rpm and that I like that, and I like going out and being not aggressive, but assertive and active in the world, and engaging with the world 
in, in an open and active way. I, I really like that. It's a good mm, question. I like that answer too. Um, I, I'm so curious, like in terms of being open and active, share some of the favorite ways that that shows up for you. Like what, what does that look like it, it, being a man in the world? Hmm. It shows up in a sense in not waiting for something to happen, but but going out and making something happen. Mm. Now that's, again, it's not aggressive. It's, and it, it, it has to be, okay, let, let me back up. There's a concept I really like I wanna throw at you. And the concept is dynamic tension. This is one mm. of my favorite tools maybe down the road. If you wanna talk about three max habits, this is one of them. It's an awareness of the fact that, um, you know, there's lots of paths that you can walk down and they all have good stuff and they all have bad stuff. Whatever path you walk, you get something. You get the steak, you didn't get the lobster. You know what I mean? You can't always, life isn't always surf and turf. So you got to choose. And so I try to hold important values in dynamic tension. So I want to go out and make something happen, but not at the cost of thoughtfulness. So I want to be able to be thoughtful and reflective and utilize my emotional instrument. But then from an active standpoint, once I've kind of gotten what I, you know, what I know I want to do, go out and make that happen. And, um, uh, you know, with feel the fear and do it anyway, move mm -hmm. forward and begin to engage and see what happens next. Mm, okay, so that makes me wanna ask, have you always been that way? What caused you to be that way? Because something I know working with a lot of men in my history that there's often this tension between like, between that active part of themselves and what they want and connecting. It's to me, you're saying like, there's an intentionality between deciding and then, and then with intention moving forward, even through the face of fear. So like, what are, where are the stuck points and how did you get there to where you feel like you, you own that power to be able to move through the world that way? The biggest stuck point is for, for most guys is fear. Um, it, it's, I'm afraid I'll be criticized. I'm afraid I'll be ridiculed. I'm afraid I'll be humiliated. I'm afraid I'll fail and then people will laugh at me. I'm afraid I'll fall down and never get up again. I'm afraid if I go out and I do this and it doesn't work out, um, then people will see I'm a total loser and that's the end of my being able to be, you know, kind of uh, connected to, to life, to other people. So the biggest stuck points are those. The second biggest stuck points have to do with that dynamic tension I was talking about between ref reflection and action. Mm. Um, for me, growing up, the, the, there was no dynamic tension. I just went and did, and I didn't think about stuff, and I made a lot of mistakes, and mm -hmm. I made a lot of bad choices. And so the, 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 the next stuck point is, is learning how to be thoughtful, learning how to be reflective, learning how to make good decisions before taking action. Mm. 
That's so huge. <laughs> you know, it makes me think as a sociologist, I think a lot about where we learn these things and it's really missing in our culture in mm. terms of thinking about how do you train yourself to be a really thoughtful man or a really thoughtful woman for that matter, like a, a thoughtful person in general. You know, it's like we go to school for all these years and we have training, on, you know, we learn math and reading, but we don't learn the life skills of how to be a hero on of your own journey and you know like things that happen like the like no more mr nice guy syndrome like it's and then we show up in all these contorted ways where we can't move through our life with that reflective awareness because we've never really been taught how right we're not taught how to think yeah or we're feel to, or yeah. or feel right yeah and even in the skills that we are taught to me we're taught the wrong ones like we're taught math. Okay, when is the last time you used algebra, trigonometry, or calculus? Right, right. right. Yeah. Now you use some geometry. Okay, basic geometry you need because that's about things, right? Yeah. But but what like about spatial some... awareness or something? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But what about something like probability? or odds, you know, that I could use in, in a practical way to make a decision. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, what, a, I mean, we're taught reading, but we're not taught really how to, we're taught, you know, reading comprehension. What did the author say? And I can repeat back with you, but well, I can't think about what the author said because I'm not taught critical thinking. Yeah. And yeah. so the life skills that you're talking about that we really need to learn, we're not being taught. Absolutely not. It's so, it's, I mean, it's really my journey of becoming a coach is I, when I started stepping into coaching for myself, I, it was because I was having a, you know, personal just fallout. And I was like, I don't have these skills. And I didn't even actually realize that it was skills that I could learn until mm. I started learning the skills. I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody can learn these skills and everybody's missing these skills and people are suffering and struggling. And it's, it, you know, the point to go from my life really sucks and things are really challenging to like, my life is awesome and things are really good takes work, but it yes. is, but the tools are actually there. If, if you know to look for them and you find people who are willing to help you. <laughs> I think you're making such an important point. Um, so anybody listening, this is a great, Point. These are important. You can learn life skills. You can learn that. And there are people out there to teach you. There are books on them. And this is such a different way of thinking about, you know, how to relate to the world, whether it's business or relationships or life in general, than we're taught in school. So yeah, yeah no, this is a definitely a great way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it's, it's books like yours, right? So it's like, I go, I've read so many books when I went from really my academic kind of textbook reading to reading personal growth and development and, and shifting in, in different ways. I was like, light bulbs just going off all over the place. Uh -huh. And so I think, you know, books like yours are incredible, have incredible transformative power. So I want to dive deep a little bit there. Will you share how, you know, for you, how did your no more Mr. Nice Guy syndrome or how did your nice guy syndrome show up? Like what caused you to want to help guys in this way? Mm. So um, I'm a fun, there's, Dr. Glover talks about there being kind of two 
brands of nice guy or two flavors of nice guy. Mm -hmm. There's the I'm so nice, nice guy and the I'm so bad, nice guy. So I'm the I'm so bad, nice guy. I, I had a really crappy childhood, frankly, and I became oppositional and I and I never really stopped being oppositional. So that actually confused things because I, I didn't identify as a nice guy until I read Dr. Glover's book. And then suddenly, oh yeah, the light bulb went off and oh, I'm a nice guy. And I went to my friends and I said, oh, I'm a nice guy and I'm gonna like change my nice guy. And they said to me, Michael, you know, you're not actually that nice a guy. <laughs> and so I really had to sort out what, what that was all about. So f for me, I mean, a lot of nice guys, they, they give, they, they're compliant, they're passive, they go along, they let other people take the lead, they do what they're told, then they get resentful and they get angry. And I do that too, but I also, you know, kind of, and I can shift into aggressive, I could, you know, it, this is in the past, I could shift into domination. So nice guys are submissive, they're passive and submissive. So there's a, a dominant submissive dynamic going on. The sh and they, so the, sh so I could play both sides. Um, so that's how it was showing up. I was dominating or I was submitting and I was, I was doing kind of both in different, alternating. I do one in one relationship and then shift to the other in the next relationship as a kind of a, uh, a ricochet and I would bounce back and forth. Mm -hmm. And in work, the way it showed up was, um, I would, I wanted to be a creative soul. You know, I wanted to go out and change the world. I was in the movie business and I wanted to write and direct great movies like Orson Welles or Marty Scorsese or, you know, whoever. And, um, but I couldn't, I didn't have a vision because nice guys are trained not to have vision. They're trained in childhood to serve the needs of some, you know, kind of dominant parent and who's, who is emotionally fragile in some kind of a way, you know, goes into rage or goes into depression or um, uh, goes into criticism and punishment. And so the child learns to keep quiet and hold back his needs until he can't even feel them anymore. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't, you can't afford a vision if your vision is at odds with the, the dictator. So that it work. Powerful. Keep going. I'll, I'll hold uh, my question. I, yeah, right. that's so, so, so in work, it's like, okay, you're scared to, to have a different thought or a different vision than the boss than the director, than the producer. And so what I was good at was making somebody else's vision a reality, making somebody else's dream come true, making somebody else happy, rather than having a vision 
to and being able to take the lead and being a leader and being a visionary and being an artist. Mm. So many light bulbs are going off for me. It's really interesting because I hadn't made the connection quite before. You know, I, I think a lot about like for me, I came from a background of code. It would be called codependency, which when I found that work, I was like, oh, my God, this is my problem. You know, like it was so huge for me. So no more Mr. Nice Guy really resonated because I think I see a lot of the overlaps there. You just said something that I think is so incredibly powerful, you know, talking about nice guys are trained to not have a vision. And it's. To me, it's this, it's the overshadowing where boys growing up in specific environments uh, have, are tracking their surroundings mm -hmm. and looking to the people around them to, to kind of show them what they're supposed to be doing so they can be good or mm -hmm. stay on track or something along those lines. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, what, what the light bulb I'm having is like a lot of the men I work with will say like, I don't, I don't know how to step into my vision. I don't know. I don't know my vision. I don't mm -hmm. know my why. So, you know, when you said that, I was like, oh, I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective. So that's really powerful. Um, you said that you had a hard, like they have a hard time finding their needs. Can you just yeah, a little more. I'd love to hear this, more. This is one of the real big keys to moving out of nice guy ness. Um, you, there's a lot of you know, like self help literature. You know, embrace your passion. You know, find. You know, seek your vision. They don't quite tell you how to do that if you're somebody who cannot access. Like, what do I want for dinner? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I heard the other day somebody say, I, I, I was in the store and I couldn't choose what socks to buy. Yeah. It's, it's sad. And one of the things that happens, you know, in my therapy practice, you know, this happens so many times. A, a nice guy will come in and he'll sit down and he'll say, you know, oh, doc, I feel miserable. You know, I just want to be happy. And I say, okay, well, what makes you happy? And they say, I have no idea. Yeah. And it's sad. They just sit there and they realize they have no idea. Nobody has ever asked them, you know, really, what do they, what do you want? And so um, the, there, there is a process. You can't just flick a switch. It's actually a learning process like anything else. And I have an exercise in the book. So um, forgetting for a second the guy who doesn't, like, can't pick socks. Um, most guys can sort of get hold of what they want if no one else is around. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if I'm in a relationship and my girlfriend's out of town, I could probably sort out what I wanted for dinner. But if my girlfriend's around, no, I'm, I, I'm not allowed to know what I want, right? Yeah. So I'm a nice guy. So what do I do? Hey, baby, what do you want for dinner? What do you want? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What movie do you want to see? What? So the exercise I have people do, because, you know, a restaurant or a movie, this is low stakes stuff, generally speaking. So I, I, I tell them they must go off by themselves 
They can lock themselves in the bedroom, the bathroom. They can walk the dog. They can take a drive in the car. As long as it takes, it takes an hour, it takes two hours, whatever it is, and they have to figure out what they want. And they can visualize and they can imagine and they can ask and they can look it up on the internet and, and, um, and they have to avoid the trap of what would she want? Well, I would want that. Oh, she'd never want that. They have to avoid that trap. And they have to ask themselves, what would they, what restaurant would they eat at if this was my last day on earth? Or if my girlfriend, if it wasn't a date, or my girlfriend or my wife didn't exist, where would I want to eat? And then when they know that, and only when they know that, they can come out and say to the other person, I want Italian food tonight. And then they have to shut up and, and wait. Right, instead of, and instead of going, I want Italian. Is, does that work for you? Is yeah, that what you want? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Would, it, would that be okay? Right. Yeah, right. yeah. No. Yeah, because the lasagna is good, but we could have Chinese. You, you want sushi? Yeah. Right? No, no. Yeah. I want to tell baby, I'm jonesing for lasagna and shut up. Yeah. It's funny because it's so simple, but it's so hard to do when you're stuck and trying to please other people all the time. Yeah. You know, and so it's like starting really, what I hear you easier. saying is start really, really small. And then it gets easier to move into the bigger things. Something I see a lot with um, entrepreneurs who are men, you know, it's like that thing of like making decisions and kind of like the scattered approach, because if you suffer with this, with nice guy syndrome, then you're going to have a hard time always trying to please everyone around you, not knowing exactly what you want, not knowing your vision, not knowing your why. And then you go like, it's, it's really hard to move forward when you're stuck in that way of thinking. Yep. So yeah, and, I mean, right. incredible. And the worst tip. thing for a nice guy is when he has to please more than one person. Yeah. Like, like he has to please his girlfriend and his mother, or he has to please two departments, the, you know, the sales department and the creative department in, yeah. in his company. Can't do it. Yeah. But, yeah, no. because you can't please everyone. That's right. It's but impossible. Yeah, right. Well, try telling that to a nice guy <laughs> whose job it is to please everybody and make yeah. everybody yeah. happy. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I got to skim through your book this morning and I was like, oh, so much. What I was impressed by was the really clear outline and progression and then how you have so many exercises in there. I mean, like really powerful, shifting, transformative, practical, actionable tips to help people shift. So share with us, I mean, you were talking about it being a learning process and then you're giving these tips that it's like, oh, do one really small thing, like go on a walk and decide what you want to eat for dinner. And, and I like that you're highlighting, you know, in, in, you know, if they're in a vacuum almost or they're by themselves, easy to make a decision. And it's because they're not worried about other people, what other people think. Right. So if you're formulating your reality through the eyes of other people and wanting to please them, then you're always going to be making decisions based on what works for them instead of what works for you. So would uh, you or what you imagine would work for them? Yeah, exactly. As, yes. as if you know yes. their mind better than they do. Good clarification. Yeah. <laughs> so so share. I mean, I want to hear so much more. I mean, what what are some other struggles that nice guys experience? And and I want you to talk a little bit too about like the hero's journey part for you. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that what does that how does that unfold? What does that look like? 
Well, those are two different questions. You have True. a preference as to which one you want me to answer? Start with, with, with some of the symptoms, yep, and then okay. talk about the hero's journey. Thank you. Okay. I, I often ask a lot of questions all at once. <laughs> um, okay, so of course, nice guys are always trying to please other people, and in the process, they're always getting resentful because they um, they aren't getting what they want. Um, but it's tricky, right? Because it, it's, um, I, and I know this is, is sort of a, a business-oriented podcast, but I'm going to use a, a relationship dynamic to, to make this particular point. So um, let's say um, I meet a girl and I want to take her out on a date, right? So I'm a nice guy. So um, the I say, well, where do you want to go for dinner? And she says, well, you're treating me. You've asked me out. Where do you want to go for dinner? And I said, no, 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 no. They, come on. It's just like, what do you like? You like sushi? You like Italian? What do you like? Right? And then, so you go, well, well all right. I guess I, I like sushi. I go, okay. Oh, I know this great sushi place. So I take you out. Uh, we go for sushi. It's fabulous. We have a great time. Maybe get, it gets romantic. Who knows? The second date, I say, where do you want to go for dinner? And you say, well, I picked last time. So why don't you pick this time? No, but it worked out so well last time. So we're like, no, do this. Like, okay, all right. I guess I'll have Italian. Oh, I know this great Italian place, right? So now, now the third time comes along. I say, what do you want for dinner? You say Chinese. Because I trained you. Yeah. I trained you to take the lead. I because that's what nice guys do. They actually think this is being done to them, but they are actually, they're, they're training somebody else to be their mother. They're training somebody else to take the role of the leader so that they can follow. And then what happens is one day the nice guy goes, how come we always eat where you want to eat? The answer is because you did it. That's why, because the nice guy did it. He made this happen. He, he, he co-created what he's now complaining about. So that's something that nice guys do. So big. I, I, so many things are, I love, one of my favorite sayings is we train people how to treat us. Yes. You know, so it's like when I'm in a, the beginning of a, any type of relationship, friendship, colleague, work, you know, intimate, whatever, it's like, okay, with it, very quickly, I'm like, okay, do I like the direction this is going or do I not? And if not, I need to retrain. <laughs> right. Because, you know, it's just by speaking up about what I want. And a lot of this is rooted in my history of it used to be that I would always filter it through what I thought they wanted and what I thought I needed to be and those types of things. But I, I love what you're saying about the resentment piece because you're saying, they're, they're not getting what they want and they feel resentful about it. But then the, the real tension there too is that they don't also don't know what they want. That's right. Right. So it's like, I, I'm resentful because you're not giving me what I want, but then I actually don't know what I want. And I wouldn't even know how to articulate it because I'm not practiced at saying what I want. <laughs> right. And there's one other little piece that goes along with what, what you're saying. Every once in a while, they do know what they want by some confluence of energy in the world. I, I, you know, I now, tonight, I want Italian, right? And she says, well, I'm not in the mood for Italian. Then there's a gigantic blow up. I do so much for you. I, we always eat where you want to go. We always do what you want. The one time I want Italian and you want, like, 
okay, because I feel entitled. I've given so much. I now am entitled to have you give me what I want. That's another nice guy. Thing. Yes. So, okay. So we've got resentment, not being able to speak up for what you want. And then big blow ups because right? you feel like you're over giving, which you are. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else? Giving to get. This is a big one. Um, uh, Dr. Glover talks about covert contracts. Is that a, a, a phrase, you know, or yeah. Basically, it's, it's the idea for, for your listeners. It's the idea that I'm going to do something for you. And in turn, you're going to do something for me. That's the contract. But I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to do this. And um, you're, so you're not going to know what's expected of you but it will be expected of you. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be very upset at you. So, so here's a like really silly example that, that, that I like to use that kind of illustrates it. So you're driving in a car and you come to a four-way stop sign and you and another driver arrive about the same time. And you could go, but you're a nice guy, right? So you wave the person through. And as the person is going, you're looking to see, do they wave thank you? And if they do, then the contract got fulfilled, right? And if they don't, you say, fuck you, asshole. How, you, you ungrateful, right? And so there was the contract. The other driver had no idea that he'd signed on to a contract with me. Um, but, but in my mind, he had. And he either fulfills the contract or doesn't fulfill the contract. I open a door for a woman, she's supposed to do something nice for me. That's the contract. She's supposed to smile or say thank you. And if she doesn't, I go, what, what a bitch. Like ungrateful, like, right? She didn't sign on to this contract. It's just... But that's the, that's the, and nice guys do this all the time. And it works in lots and lots of ways, particularly because nice guys do it unconsciously. They do it all the time and they do it unconsciously. And they, they're not even conscious of the contract. At the four-way stop sign or at the door, when I'm doing it, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm offering this other person a contract. They're just thinking, I'm such a nice guy, look at me. And, and this other person can't help but appreciate uh, what I'm doing and validate me for it. And, um, uh, and I, then I either get it or I don't get it, but I'm doing it to get something as opposed to, I'm not opening the door because I'm a generous guy or a well-mannered man. I'm doing it to get appreciation from the pretty girl walking, you know, through the door. Mm -hmm. It's all about getting something that makes me, that validates me, that makes me feel worthwhile, that makes me feel loved. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about all the ways that this shows up in men's lives and and in relationships that cause so much complication. And then also the tension of leadership. You know, it's like when you're a nice guy in a leadership position Mm -hmm. and or an entrepreneurship position, it creates a lot of energetic pull at all points in time. Okay. You know, so it's like, it's making me think about how, you know, when you have this conflict going on all the time where you're like, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm resentful that I'm giving. I don't mm-hmm. totally know what I want. I can't lead the way. I'm trying to please everyone. I, it's like this martyrdom thing. Like I'm yeah. everyone and I'm right. kind of just internally pissed off at the world really, right? you know, which makes it really hard to, to, you know, I, I talk a lot about the law of attraction and, and vibrational frequency and, you know, manifestation and all those things. And when you're, you have that much conflict going on in your inner world, it's really hard to create what you want. Yeah. Like when you were talking about that, I thought of an example from work where a nice guy will volunteer to do extra, stay overtime, pick up the slack for somebody else, but he's doing it to get, he's not Mm -hmm. doing it to be a generous coworker and take care He's doing, oh, the boss will see, then I'll get the promotion, the, somebody will recognize, then I'll get validated, I'll get the, the, the glass award or whatever it is that I'm supposed to be getting, right? And, um, uh, and it turns out that what he generally gets is forgotten. Mm-hmm. He might get thanked, but he's never going to get what he really wants to get out of it. Yeah. And so, uh, and then there's a lot of confusing emotions, resentment. When when I'm doing it, let's say I've stayed over two hours to copy reports and get get everything ready for the meeting because the secretary went home. Like, okay, all right. Um, but all the time I'm thinking, oh, I, I want to get, but I resent the how come they didn't get. And, and all of that energy is, is very hard for somebody else to, you know, connect with on a mm-hmm. constructive, in a constructive way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that feeling, I mean, I've been with, I've experienced this in relationships before and it's like, it's a very challenging it's challenging because you, you want to connect, but there's so much going on behind the scenes and it's really hard to talk about. And, um, you know, so my brain goes to this place of wanting to ask you what are really practical strategies for guys, you know, would it, for all of you listening, if this is, you're in a relationship with a guy like this and, or if you're a guy listening and you are this guy, I'm sure you're sitting there going like, awesome, this is me, help, <laughs> tell me the way out. So obviously your book is, is, a- buy, yeah, buy my book. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so tell us like the hero's journey, is that like, take us along that path and some of some really practical strategies that people can just start with. Mm. Um, okay, so can I back up a half a step? So I want to just let people know what the book is um, um, because you were talking about exercises and what this this book started out as a companion workbook to Dr. Glover's book No More Mr. Nice Guy and because um, his book is it's sort of brilliant in describing the way that nice guys are but it doesn't provide a lot of practical steps so it provides an understanding, 
but not the, it doesn't, it's not exactly a roadmap to integration city. So um, uh, I, I, so I set out to write one with, with his blessing. He wrote the forward to the book because uh, he didn't want to write it. So he said, you write it. So I wrote it. And what it is, is in fact, it's all, ex there's exposition and exercises and it follows his book chapter by chapter with some of additional chapters of my own. And it takes the reader or the user on a step-by-step -step journey, there's like four, three, four, five exercises each chapter. And each exercise has a number of operational steps, actionable steps, and then an example that illustrates how that works. And so it's, it's, it's a book more like something like The Artist's Way where the goal is doing the work on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a, a yearly basis. It's about, it's, a, it's, it's not about how can I have a flash of insight and suddenly I'm different. It's about, you know, how do I learn how to hit a tennis ball or how do I learn how to do a martial art? Um, uh, it's a, it's about slow, uh, deep, solid, steady growth towards uh, uh, a very, very important goal of healthy masculinity. I love that. I'm thinking integrative process and process, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's so, a process. Book. Yeah. It's right. definitely a process. Book. Yeah, you can't, it, I, I think it's funny when people expect like, oh, it took me 40, 30, 40, 50 years to get here, but then I'm just gonna read a book and be healed in like two weeks. Right. It doesn't work that way. Does not work that it's way. It's a lifelong journey. So, to, so what I'm hearing you say though, and what I saw in the book that I was really pleased by is the step-by-step -step approach. And I would imagine it's like doing it again and again and again, because it's that process we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. men are men are funny. Like they'll go out and spend years learning how to hit a golf ball, but they want to change their personality overnight. Yeah, and yeah. think that they can. Yeah, and be impatient when it's not working as fast as they want. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean. I think that's pretty true for all people. We are pretty, you know, as animals and living by the pleasure pain principle, we're pretty short-sighted and impatient. Mm -hmm. Yes, you we know? are. And, and I think this type of work that you're promoting in your book and that I do as a coach, it's like, it's a lifelong journey and it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. You can have, I, I think you can have massive shifts and, and epiphanies, even by reading one sentence in your book might change someone's life because they yeah. have that critical awareness of like, oh, this is my issue. And now I can at least bring it to my conscious awareness to then start taking steps in the direction to shift it. Mm -hmm. But until you have that awareness, you're going to stay stuck where you are because you only know to feel as good as you've ever felt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can be a, 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 a conscious awareness. It can be an unconscious shift. And it's the way I think about it is like um, how earthquakes happen. You know, the, there's these two plates and the tension is building and the tension is building and the tension is building and suddenly it moves. And so um, for somebody reading some part of this, if the tension is building, 
and there's a big move, great. Yeah. Otherwise, it can help build that tension towards the move. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think a lot of people are looking for the epiphanal moment. And sometimes when they don't get it, they're like, what's wrong with me? But it, it like exactly what you're saying. It's like, it's multiple moments. It's the micro epiphanies that you have along the way mm-hmm. that then, you know, ha- have you having that breakthrough where all of a sudden you go, ah, oh, I-, I can, I know now I can change because I've had enough of those moments <laughs> to push right. me in that direction. Right. And just, I always, I find epiphanies a little dangerous in the sense that people tend to overvalue them as long-term solutions. I, I uh, and you could quote me on this, today's epiphany is tomorrow's banality. That you, you, you get this epiphany, okay, and so then there's a consolidation of what you got from the epiphany, but then you don't stop growing and you don't stop needing to grow. Then you gotta go out and Go do some, get another epiphany. Yeah. You can't sit still. Yeah, yeah. I really value that. And I think also if when people don't have what, you know, the quote unquote epiphany moment, they beat themselves up sometimes. They're like, mm. well, why am I not having this moment? What's wrong with me? And, and it doesn't take that. It could be that, it could not. But yes, mm-hmm. I, I love that. Okay, talk to us about the hero's journey. What does that mean to you? Okay. So the hero's journey is an idea developed by Joseph Campbell. And it was in his first and I think most important book, which is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he kind of, I think he locked himself up in a cabin somewhere in the woods and read books for five years. And what he noticed was that all of the world's all of countries' epics and all the myths and all the religious narratives and all the fairy tales, they all seem to have the same structure. And, um, and he thought about the structure and he noticed that it seemed to mirror the psychological growth of the human being from child to adult. Um, arguably, because Campbell wrote this in 1949 or something like that, and he's a man, and most of the myths are about men, that the model fits better for men than it does for women. And it's, that's something that I'm thinking about right now, and I don't have an answer yet. Um, Is the heroine's journey different from that? Or is the heroine's journey that we know modeled on on the male, is it the male model with breasts? Um, is Wonder Woman a woman or is she a man in, you know, disguised as a woman? Um, and I don't have an answer for that, but it, it's, it's a question we're thinking about. Anyway, the hero's journey works real well for men as a, as a process model. And it's about, um, you've been kind of asleep and someone comes along and goes, um, wake up, wake up. <laughs> you, uh, it's time to, it's time to grow up. It's time to, it's time to stop being kind of sh- thinking and being a child. And it's time to start, uh, going out, doing what you need to do to become the man you need to be. 
and all of the myths. So there'll be, a, there's what's called a calling and I'll, I'll use an example so that people, here's an example. Most people know, not maybe not everybody, but the original star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. So this is a, this is a commonly cited example of, of a very clear hero's journey. So there's Luke Skywalker. He's doing nothing. He's rounding up droids in the prairie. And, um, uh, and he's just a farm boy. He's a little, he's a little agitated because he wants to get off the farm, but he, he's, there he is. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's doing what his uncle tells him to do. Right. And then along and bang, he meets Obi-Wan Kenobi and there's the droid with the, the, the vision of Princess Leia going, help, help, help. So we now have a damsel in distress and we have a mission. And that's his calling, the call to action, which he refuses. Because that's what a lot of people do. They refuse the call. They say, no, too much work, too much trouble. Or they remain unconscious and they don't do anything. And then they go back to the farm, which has been burned and his aunt and uncle have been killed. Thank you very much. They paid the price so that he could like go on his journey. And, and then he does, and he gets in the ship with Obi-Wan and off they go. And that's in Campbell's terms called crossing the threshold. At this point, there's no turning back. You're on the journey now. And it's, you have to do what you have to do to get to the end, get the prize. And there's a long path, what Campbell calls the, the road of trials in which you will be tested over and over and over again. And each, with each test, you will grow. You might get a mentor. He had Obi-Wan. Later on, he had Yoda, right? Which, who, to whom I relate because I'm bald and small and old, and increasingly wrinkled. I love Yoda. <laughs> um, you don't have the cute green ears, though. <laughs> so, Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> um, and, uh, and eventually the, the mentor teaches what he has to teach. The road of trials is gone through until the hero has to face the ultimate test on his own. And Luke has to, you know, pilot the ship and get the laser missile into the <laughs> Death Star, right? Okay, and, and blow up the Death Star, which he does, right? Okay, so psychologically, it, it's obviously not as neat and clean as that. Epics and stories and narratives and movies and are, have, to, have to tie this up, and we humans don't. The process is ongoing your whole life, however, the, the big part of it can be done as something like this kind of journey, particularly if you kind of look at it through that lens, you, you can kind of really get um, kind of, you, you can get the process feel embedded in your heart, in your vision and follow that path and it'll keep driving you forward. And so that's the hero's journey. 
Ah, good storytelling. That was awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, Joseph Campbell, incredible. Um, okay, so so for us, tie together the hero's journey with you. You were talking about in your work um, the integrated man. So moving from nice guy to integrated male. Mm-hmm. Share a little bit there. So, okay. So if the hero's journey is the process, the nice guy stuff is the content. So anybody can go on a hero's journey. You could go from asshole to integrated man, or you could go from child to man or girl to woman. Or, But for, for this particular book, it's about how nice guys are going to change. And so the kinds of things that we're talking about, like not knowing what you want, the nice guy has to start to get in touch with his feelings. What I, I mean, what, with his wants and needs, which is what I call reanimating desire. He has mm-hmm. to bring his desire and his passion and his vision and his wants and needs back to life. Um, and because they've been asleep, they didn't go anywhere, but they, they, you know, kind of packed in ice and he has to bring them back to life. He has to, in order to do that, there's something that goes along with it, which is getting in touch with your feelings and men, uh, at least in America, uh, underestimate the importance of emotions. There's, it's starting to get, the word is starting to get around, like people are talking about emotional intelligence in the workplace, and a lot of corporations are embracing that and trying to figure out ways to raise the, le- the, the level of emotional and the EQ of executives and workers, right? And, um, but absolutely that's so important. It's the most important thing. Get in touch with how you feel, get in touch with what you like and want, and then get it, you know, learn how to make good decisions based on that using your feelings rather than just your thoughts. And then um, how do you face your fears and take action in the world? because um, you can't lead if you don't know where you're going and you're too scared to, to, to move. So that's the next step is, is how do you face your fears? What can help you cut that fear down to size and then be able to take action in the world? And then how do you handle what comes next? Mm. Awesome. Okay. So what I hear you saying overall (laughs) is that your book is a roadmap through the hero's journey of going from nice guy to integrated male. That's right. Okay. That's right. So everybody listening needs to read it. The roadmap (laughs) to integration city. Nice. Awesome. Right. And what, and, and, and real quick, I, I want to be sensitive of time. So I'm thinking like, I mean, I could sit and talk, chat with you all day long. I love this conversation. Um, what is on the other side of that for, for guys? Like what, what is the takeaway for an integrated male? What do they get to feel and experience differently? Yeah, great question. Um, 
Well, the first thing they get to feel is a whole lot less scared about, mm -hmm. about life and about themselves. So you get to feel okay about who you are, even if you don't like the, some specifics about who you are. So um, I don't like my limitations. I don't like that I'm not going to live forever. Or I don't like that I'm not six foot four. I don't like that I'm not 21 again. I don't like that I don't always have the answers to all the questions. I don't like that, you know, whatever the limitations, that I made a decision and it didn't work out, or I, I, I was ignorant of something that could have helped me. So I don't like any of my limitations, but I accept the fact that I'm limited. I don't beat myself up for not being any of the things that I want to be. I don't, I, I may not like that I sometimes am greedy or spiteful or hateful or confused or bewildered or angry. I might not like any of those things, but I accept the fact that I am and that I'm a human being and all of these things are human and everything that's human, I got because I'm human. And so I accept my humanity, even though I might not like every aspect of it. So that's one thing is self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. And with self-acceptance comes a kind of what I want to say is something like, then I get to like do be me. I get to be me and worry about it a whole lot less and be okay with what happens, knowing that not everybody's going to love me or love what I do or in even people who love me and generally love what I do may not love this thing I just did um, or said, but I'll, uh, we can, we can, we can talk it out and we can, we can work through the problems and I get to be um, integrated, not just with myself, but with the world around me because um, we can work together on what's happening. So, so, so good. I mean, when you're talking, I'm just that it's, I'm having a visceral response of like the, the relaxed feeling of self-acceptance, you know, mm. it's like going from that place of like, oh, there's so much I'm fighting against in so many ways that I don't like myself and so many things I'm trying to be. And when you move into that integrated space of allowing and accepting and and moving through your life with more ease and flow. It's like that self-acceptance to me brings, you know, it's, I'm thinking about those guys. It's like, it's more clarity. It's more confidence. It's more leadership. It's more personal power. It's you stepping into, you know, what you were really truly brought here to do and be instead of constantly fighting against it. Hmm. And it's just like, I mean, who doesn't want that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as you were talking, a thought came to me that part of it comes from just you know, I get a greater sense that what I'm about to say or do is okay. Mm -hmm. But I also have a greater sense that if it's not okay, I can, um, we're going to live. That, yeah. that mistakes are not fatal. Yeah. It's like as a therapist, and maybe you found this as a therapist and coach yourself, that 
um, I'm sitting with somebody in when I first started, I thought, oh, I have to have this theory down pat because uh, I, I, gotta, I can't make a mistake, right? What would Freud say, right? So I got to say what Freud would have said. But later on, I thought it, it just, it, it, that sort of melted away. And, I, and what started to happen was I was going to say what I was going to say. And I was more confident, not just because I thought I had more experience and I knew that what I was going to say would be pretty helpful. It was likely to be, but also like if I said something that, that wasn't helpful or I could, I could get in trouble and it would be okay. I, I get out of trouble. It's a, I was with, that's where some of the confidence comes from in leadership. It's, it's not the belief that I'll never make a mistake. It's the belief that, that of course I'm going to make mistakes. And when I do, we'll figure out what to do about it then. It's okay. I'll get out of trouble. Yeah. What's yelling at me in my mind right now is shame. It's shame reduction, right? It's like, mm. I, it's not, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm okay and whole as I am, which comes along with that self acceptance place. I think, I think shame is induced in big ways when we're incongruent with what we want and what we need and what we feel. And we, you know, we put out a whole bunch of like, Oh, I'm going to morph myself into something that I want. I think everyone else wants me to be, it causes shame and, and it just, it's just a really toxic cycle. So, Oh, so good. Okay. Um, I, we could go on for a long time, but we're running, I think we're up to about an hour. So share with listeners first, your top three max potential habits that got you where you are today. Start there. <laughs> okay. So these are uh, kind of briefly, right? So yeah. one of them is, uh, I'm committed to feeling all my feelings. Uh, I, I absolutely believe that this is the secret to life. The secret to living a good life. If you're not afraid of feeling, then you're not afraid of living. And so, and there is no such thing as a bad emotion. There are emotions that feel bad, but they're all good. They're all important. They all carry information. And if you learn how to use them, you will live a better, more effective life. That's awesome. All so right. that's one. The okay. second is I don't buy the um, work smarter, not harder. I think that's a false dichotomy. Work smarter and harder. I, th I don't know anybody who is really successful. I suspect including Tim Ferriss, who probably works extremely hard, um, uh, who, who gets away, you know, by, by just kind of sitting on his ass and, and you know, ha having brilliant ideas that, you know, that automate themselves. Uh-uh. That's not, everybody that I've ever read about who, who I respect, who did something good, worked really, really hard at it. And then the third one has to do with a kind of a radical honesty. Um, it's the idea when we were talking earlier about covert contracts and, and giving to get, um, live, live, this is going to sound like not what I, but I'll explain it. Live on the surface. And that doesn't mean be superficial. What I mean is say your truth and, 
uh, I have a rule in relationships. You can take me at face value. If I said to you, I want Italian food and we go to the Italian restaurant, I'm not going to tell you, oh, I really wanted Chinese. If you say I want sushi and I go along with it, you will not hear me complain. I said yes. If I said yes, that's it. I've agreed. Um, and I, and I, if you can, if, if you can get to a place where you know what you want, you know how you feel, you know what you're like, and you can say, this is what I want, it gets a lot easier to be able to live, you know, at face value. These are good. Uh, you know, I, was, I kind of do my analysis through all of the interviews I've done in my mind and, and look for patterns and no one has said, maybe work hard, but I love the way that you're saying work smarter, not, work smarter and harder and radical honesty. No one has said that or be committed to feeling everything you feel. I mean, those all three, would to me create a really powerful life and business, you know, and relationships and that experience of personal power and self-love and self-acceptance that you're talking about. So awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay. I know people are going to want to get your book. So tell us the name and tell us where they can find it. Okay. It's called No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey, A Step-by-Step -Step Guide to Becoming an Integrated Male. And it's on Amazon um, for those streaming live, it's coming up in six days, July 14th, Bastille Day, Day of Independence in France. For those who are listening on the podcast, it was July 14th, Bastille Day, Day of Independence, 2020. Nice. Um, and it's on Amazon uh, under that title and under my name. And uh, if you, it's also, there'll be a link to it on my website, www.drparisertherapy.com. I have an Instagram. It's Dr. Michael Pariser. Facebook, same thing. LinkedIn, same thing. The, uh, there'll be links to all of it around. And um, if you, if, for anybody, I, I just want to make one quick recommendation for anybody who hasn't read Dr. Glover's book, read Dr. Glover's book and buy the two together and you can use them together. Awesome. And yeah, and I don't have it written down, but everyone listening, I had Dr. Glover on. So go look for his episode and listen to that one too. And yeah, I've recommended that book to hundreds of people. It's incredible. And I'm, I know your book is too. And so definitely get it. And I want to say for the women listening, it's a great read as well. You know, this isn't only for the men. It's also to help you understand men better. Um, not that I think it's your job to fix the men. That's their job to do themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's an important lesson here. But it's all, you know, I, I'm an avid researcher and reader. And I think that when we understand human behavior, it helps us understand ourselves. It helps us relate more powerfully to people. So, you know, I think it's a book that every single person should read your book incredible mm. so thank you so much so many thank good you, tips Amanda, here. so much yeah I really i love i loved our conversation me too thank you it's been a pure joy to have you on all right thanks everyone for being here again for another week of max potential habits i know that you got a lot of gems out of this one uh, my, my key takeaways are for you to learn wherever you're at. And if you're one of those guys that's stuck in being too nice, read these books. And remember that wherever you're starting from, it's okay. It's a journey. It's a lifelong journey to help 
yourself, discover parts of yourself to grow, to shift, to learn. It doesn't happen overnight. Don't expect that, but start leaning into it. If you really want to live an incredible life, it's possible. But it starts with you deciding that you want to take action in a new, new direction, get to know yourself better. You all know that one of my mantras is decide, commit, take action. So decide today that you want to shift, commit, read the book, and take action in the direction. And you will be shocked how powerfully you can transform in, let's say, even a year of time. I have massively changed my life and I've seen other people do it in very, very short periods of time when they really decide to move in that direction of being open to self-acceptance. So awesome, awesome, awesome. I'll be back again next week. I hope you all have a powerful Max Potential week where you thrive and feel alive. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Max Potential Habits Podcast. If you're liking what you've heard, it would be so incredibly awesome if you would subscribe to the channel and leave a five-star rating and a written review. This helps me help more people while we grow our NFA community so we can rock it out together. For Max Potential Habits resources, go to nfacoaching.com where you can access all of my resources. There's free eBooks, PDF checklists, a journal template, a business mindset meditation kit, and so much more. Plus links to NFA Coaching on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you're super serious about up-leveling, there's also a link to schedule a free consult to work with me in group or one-on-one coaching. Until next time, I hope you have a Max Potential Habits Day where you get inspired to do whatever it takes to transform into the most empowered version of yourself so you can lead a rich, thriving, kick-ass life and business.